Our culture today, like many before it, professes to love freedom, but freedom has been in short supply for most of history and with good reason. Its profession and practice are two different things. For the most part, the cry for liberation and freedom in the modern era has been hijacked by substitutes because fallen human beings outside of Christ are in fact held captive by sin. Far from being controversial, this is a fact every person knows deep down in their own being. Tragically, the freedom the modern world craves and demands is often expressed as freedom from God, which produces more bondage. Even in the church, our freedoms have sometimes produced a wandering and pandering that has opened doors to the enemy. In this episode of Keep It 100, we will continue the discussion on deliverance, witchcraft, and power encounter, and how to get true freedom, plus a bonus deliverance testimony from a general in the faith, Dr. Randy Clark. Welcome to Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and your real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. How you living, fam? Welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. I'm coming at you kind of solo today. Krista, she'll be back on the next episode, but we do have a great surprise in this episode. So fasten your Holy Ghost safety belts and get ready. Uh, This episode, we're continuing our theme on deliverance. And it kind of made me think of a conference service that Krista and I were in earlier this year. And Krista prophetically called out a Christian couple and she began to prophesy over them. And kind of, it struck me as unique, but the husband hit the ground, started shaking. Actually, in a moment, we'd soon find out he began to manifest. Krista called me. I came over, ministered deliverance, and we saw Jesus set this guy free. Uh, We needed the bucket for those of you who understand deliverance. But he got free and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. The amazing thing behind this obvious miracle of deliverance is that up to the moment of hitting the ground, this dude who had made a commitment to Christ was oblivious to the fact that he needed some deliverance. It made me think as I was on the come up as a young believer that I'd read C.S. Lewis classic Screwtape Letters where an older demon named Screwtape was writing letters to a young apprentice named Wormwood, who was another demon. And C.S. Lewis was a believer, so he did this actually to kind of give us insight into spiritual warfare and how the enemy plays mind games. And it's interesting, one of the letters from Screwtape to Wormwood, Screwtape says, My dear Wormwood, as you know, we must remain anonymous until the patient is firmly and irrevocably ours. And as I think of it, anonymous is too soft a word. We must remain invisible. The patient must never suspect our presence. The greater their ignorance, the greater our power. And you know, you guys, as I reflect on this masterpiece by C.S. Lewis, I just began to realize that the enemy loves to remain in secret. He does his best work in the deep, decrepit region of the unknown. It's like he tries to force two extremes. He either wants you to worship him and cause you to think that he's all-powerful, thus we see in modern Satanism and Wiccan, or he wants you to believe that he doesn't exist and for you to rationalize it away. Oh, that's just me. That's just the way I am. That's the way my daddy was. That's the way my mama was. But the truth be told is that this whole understanding comes to the place of love the final phrase in that letter that Screwtape gave to Wormwood, the greater their ignorance, the greater our power. And the Bible says we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. So let's just break it down like this. If you are in the kingdom, you are in a battle, period. So many people want to battle for society. They want to battle for social justice. They want to battle for a group that doesn't have a voice. And I get it. I'm with you. It's awesome. 
People want to battle for the seven mountains of influence. They want to battle for this and battle for that. But the truth be told, before you can ever win a battle for someone else, a battle for society, you must first understand there's a battle for self. And if you don't win that battle, my goodness, uh, you cannot take on anything else. Now, I've noticed that in my experience of decades of ministry, and I'm, I'm not an expert, I'm, I'm a student, I'm trying to grow in this thing, you guys. Uh, I've seen sincere believers uh, over and over again that are held captive to sins in a way that isn't instantly resolved at salvation. And I know for some people that's difficult, but the truth be told, we're a tripart being. And when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit occupies your spirit, but you also have a soul and a body. And so uh, when I'm talking about the fact that some people are still held captive to sin. It's not in their spirit. The Holy Spirit and demonic spirits do not cohabitate in the spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he, he does not allow any other roommates. But you can have a spirit occupied by the Holy Spirit, but your soul, because it's not renewed or because you've given yourself over, your soul can be bound in a way, and I'll prove it to you because the Bible says, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, New King James Version says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, what is Paul talking about when he says the war here? Because some people would have you to believe that, hey, you 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 come to Jesus, all the wars are over in terms of spiritual battles. It's just you against the devil. But the truth be told, this describes that the weapons of warfare are mighty to pull down strongholds, arguments, but it says bringing every thought into captivity in the obedience of Christ. This is describing what I talked about earlier, the battle for self and the fact that you've got to win that battle. So right now, we're going to jump into the Hundo Peace segment, but here I'm going to take some questions. In what ways does the enemy construct a spiritual stronghold in our lives? You know, that is a great question. And I, and I want to begin by describing what is a stronghold. A stronghold is simply a pattern of thinking that keeps people from fully connecting to God. Uh, there are usually areas where an iniquity has caused a bend. Imagine if you had a particular piece of plastic and you just kept bending the plastic, bending it, bending it, bending it. After a while, it would develop a crease or a weakness to where that's where that piece of plastic would fold. And I think there are areas in our life where we have weaknesses because we have allowed a stronghold or we've allowed a particular pattern in our life that isn't godly. And as we've allowed that thing to flourish, we develop a bend in our lives and bondages are born in the bends. Now, some strongholds are obvious. Some, per some person with a terrible temper, I was driving on the freeway and this woman started honking at me, followed me off at the exit, uh, tried to get in front of me, couldn't. She's still honking at me. And uh, I was just on a freeway next to her and I gave her enough space. I, I happened to cut in front of her, uh, but I signaled she had enough space. She didn't have to put on her brakes, but for some reason, she just didn't want me to get in front of her. Now we look at a person and we go, okay, man, maybe she has a stronghold in terms of her temper, or maybe she's had a bad day. But we see a terrible temp temper and we know it's a stronghold of anger. Other strongholds though are more subtle and they disguise themselves as kind of habits or habits that we've had to develop in order to get by. Those get by habits, many of them are strongholds that are in camo. You know what I'm saying? They're camouflage strongholds looking like get by habits. Now, the defining mark of a stronghold is that it's a reoccurring pattern. So if, just, just look at your life for a second and see if there are reoccurring patterns 
that are ungodly or carnal in your life. And when you think of a reoccurring pattern, it literally has a strong hold on you so that you find, find it extremely difficult to break free from. So what happens is you keep coming back to it. That's your first indication that it's a stronghold. Some people, whenever the pressure is on, instead of turning to Jesus, David, who wrote the Psalms, said, when my heart is overwhelmed, Psalm 61, 2, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that's higher than I. Some people, when their heart is overwhelmed, they don't go to the rock. They try to substitute small r rocks. And so as a result of that, when you go to the wrong thing, when you feel overwhelmed, you develop, in a sense, a connection to it. And if it isn't God, the enemy is going to exploit that connection or that dependence. So here are some legit questions to ask yourself to help you get to the root of your stronghold. What is the constant battleground in my life? Ask yourself right now. Come on, keep your 100 tribe. I want you to ask yourself, what is the constant battleground in my life right now? Number two, what is an unhealthy habit on healthy thought pattern that is a stronghold on me? And then finally, what do you constantly struggle with? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it envy? Is it, you know, you get impatient with people? What is it? And really strongholds come from this, really to go back to the question, of course, in what ways does the enemy construct a spiritual stronghold in our lives? Uh, here's several things that he uses as the building block of these strongholds, unconfessed sin in our life. You know, the Holy Spirit comes, convicts us. Conviction has gotten a lot of bad press. It is your friend. Let me say again, conviction is your friend because conviction keeps you from getting strongholds and if you will, demonic pressures in your life where the enemy starts to run over your will in certain ways. So unconfessed sin in your life, that is one of the ways the stronghold is built. Lies you've believed. Anytime you believe a lie, you allow the enemy to have a place. That's why truth in the Bible is so important. Uh, pull out the Bible, read it, because the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So what's the opposite? The enemy's motto is you will know the lies and the lies will keep you in bondage. So another thing that causes strongholds is lies you believe. Unforgiveness, if you don't forgive people, uh, whoever that may be, you need to forgive. Occultic activity, it may be cute, it may be popular, burning that sage. I'm telling you what, you need to get your anointing oil out. You need to renounce that because the enemy will use it. You say, I, I don't believe in that. Uh, you don't have to believe in it. The enemy doesn't want you to think that believing in it is what activates it. It's simply the activity itself that opens the door, puts out the welcome mat so that an enemy can come and attack you. Sexual activity outside of God. I think one of the quickest ways, actually two of the quickest ways that I see people get demonized because in the original Greek, they don't really use the word possession or a, a person has a, an oppression in their life. We make the difference. And, and I think it's a good distinction because Christians cannot be possessed of the devil, but they can be oppressed. You know, one time Jesus healed a woman and he said, ought not this daughter of Abraham be set free uh, on this Sabbath? And she had a, a bondage of a infirmity. And so Jesus talked about that. So to what I was saying, one of the quickest, two of the quickest ways to being demonized is sexual activity outside of God and drug abuse. And I think right now that there's such a freedom, you know, right now, obviously with the whole medicinal marijuana, and I'm, this is not the episode where I'm going to unpack that whole thing, but marijuana is often that kind of initial thing that many people do in order to go to the next thing to get a more of a high and get a higher high and all that. But the original word uh, back in Hebrew for where we would today use the words pharmacy, where you get drugs, pharmakia was actually a word in Hebrew used of witchcraft. And so the word witchcraft and the word 
drugs are actually one and the same. And so it's very interesting. And then obviously another way that the enemy comes is that he deals with familiar spirits. Family is really, when you get the word from me, I think of family, like family, stuff passed down from your dad, stuff passed down from your mom, things that happened when you were a kid, things that your mama's mama struggled with and your daddy's daddy. And so what does the devil do? It often starts, listen to me, with a wound we experience, a hurt, a disappointment, it makes at that point your heart fertile ground for seeds of lies to be planted and to build up a justification as to why you, you're going to take the manner of lifestyle that you're going to take or why you're going to use the course of action you feel justified. And it's usually on this foundation, gang, that the enemy begins to build a fortress of lies, inaccurate ideas about who God is, distorted perceptions of how God sees us and feels about us when we sin. And then for many people, what happens? Some people, they, they trusted someone, that person betrayed your trust, they hurt you. As a result, the enemy lies to you. Nobody could be trusted. You go into isolation, so you have trust issues, which now is resulting in you struggling to trust God's promises for your life. And then the enemy has done the thing that he wants to do. Now, let me just say this. Do not buy into the enemy's lies. He cannot take up real estate in you without you buying into his lies. And in addition, when I say buy into his lies, what I mean is that you come in agreement with the enemy. You have to be in agreement with what God says about you. You come in agreement. You have your amen to the word of God. Amen means so be it. You don't give your amen to the enemy. I love to tell people, do not click like on the devil's Instagram. He's trying to give you a false picture of who you are, your circumstances, the people you're around, the church, Jesus. Don't click like. Don't come in agreement with the devil's Instagram. Because the moment you click like on the devil's Instagram, you buy in his lies, you agree with the enemy, you give up the, an area of control in your life, and that becomes a stronghold, and then the enemy fights to retain it. And so what happens, I found, is getting free of these strongholds not only requires like great intentionality, but an understanding of the root cause. Like how did it get there in the first place? And how can God's word empower me to break free from it? And going back to that idea that C.S. Lewis brings out, I think many Christians accept the idea that life and behaviors change without putting in much effort. That, hey, you don't have to, you know, I can just stop this habit. I can just stop this. And if it was that easy, let me tell you what, there's so many right now, uh, different behavior clinics and different uh, detox centers that are making hand over fist dollars because people realize that life and behaviors cannot change, usually don't change without putting in much effort. And what happens is we begin to tolerate. We begin to make excuses for that behavior. We try to legitimize that behavior. And all, we, all we've done is it, it, we cause a dysfunction that allows what we tolerate to grow in us. And in this instance, it's it's demonic uh, entities taking up uh, real estate in your head. And, you know, I, I think in church, we've been taught to be a witness. We've been taught to be a servant. We've been taught to be a vessel. But I don't know if we've been taught to be a soldier active in spiritual warfare. So those are a couple of my thoughts on the question. Can a person get delivered on their own without another individual's help? Wow, that is a good question as well. And I go, of course, yes. A person can get delivered on their own without another individual. I figure if a person can get saved on their own, they can get delivered on their own. But let me say that there are two challenges to this, though. 
First challenge comes over the confusion over what is demonic and what is you. Discernment over the deceiving spirit and how to not come under that. So the first thing is getting clarity if you're going to minister deliverance to yourself is that you are your own set of eyes. So you really have to have a clear set of eyes. You know, you have to you have to have a, a clear understanding and discernment. Second of all, you also have to understand there are times when God places the key to your deliverance in another person's hand. So number one, you can learn interdependence in the body and a need for agreement. It multiplies power. You know, the Bible talks about uh, in one of the epistles, it talks about pray for one another that you may be healed or the word there is sozo, you may be delivered. So sometimes your deliverance comes by a brother or sister praying for you. So you shouldn't be uh, in, in any way in your own thinking, you shouldn't be averse to getting help in some areas where you can't seem to get free. And sometimes just being vulnerable with someone and just being honest and transparent is all of a sudden something that that begins to defeat the enemy because the enemy does his best work in darkness, whether that's found in a city, uh, whether that's found in a home, or that's found in a human heart. So the moment you bring it in the light, in other words, you reveal it, you talk about it to someone else, there's freedom. But I do believe a person can get free and delivered on their own and I'll speak more on that later. Keep it 100 Tribe, I'm so excited to bring you an interview with Dr. Randy Clark of Global Awakening who has seen some deliverance in his day. Check it out. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, I am super excited. I've got Dr. Randy Clark. Truth be told, this guy has been one of my heroes for a long, long time. I knew about him well before he knew about me. I, I love to say if there's one guy, and I, I'm bragging on Jesus in him, that is alive right now, that has impacted or been a catalyst for more moves of God and more revivals, is Dr. Randy Clark. And I'm blessed, my wife Krista and I, to say he's also our friend. And we're right now, actually, we're at a Voice of the Prophets conference. You've never gotten out to these. You need to get out of these. These are amazing. But as we're on this topic of a deliverance, witchcraft, and power encounters. I just wanted to ask you, Dr. Randy, uh, if you have any stories where you have seen and been used in deliverance, and we want to encourage, obviously, our listeners that God is restoring this ministry. It's actually never left, never meant to left. But for many North American churches, I think that we've tried to deal with things. Uh, and again, I believe in biblical counseling, Christian biblical counseling, all that. But I have a, a, a feeling that we're trying to counsel, counsel out what needs to be cast out. And so can you just speak to that? Yeah, I can, Sean. And uh, this subject, when I was a Baptist pastor and first got touched by the Holy Spirit, uh, probably within two weeks, I um, was praying for someone and a woman was beside me who was a key leader in my church over the food ministry, social justice type person and well-known Sunday school teacher saying specials, you know, you, you think this is one of our best. And as, I'm, as she and I and some others are praying for a person that's uh, got cancer, it's a pastor which brought in, we're praying at night. It's not a service. It's just a special meeting to pray for this guy who has cancer, this pastor. And then we're praying for a person who uh, was a business guy that God would bless. And, and as we're praying, the power of God hits her and knocks her back. Whoa. I mean, no, uh, she's standing there agreeing in prayer. Power hits her, knocks her back. She lands on the floor. She's flopping and her hands are shaking and her face distorts. It swells up, literally. You see this? I was there. Wow. And prior to this, because of my liberal theological education in college and seminary, I, at that point, I wasn't even sure I believed in demons. 
you know, I, I could I could go to the demythologizing thing and say, well, that's just the Jesus condescending to the first century understanding of uh, psychotherapy. Now, obviously, I don't believe that now because when 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 she gets delivered from her demons, I got delivered from demythologizing. <laughs> so I say, yes, I, I am. No one can talk me out of this anymore that everything changed in that moment. So she's on the floor. I um, uh, and, and like I said, her face is distorted. Her neck swells up. It's like fluid comes in her face. And her eyes, the pupils and corneas are rotating, but they're rotating out of sequence. Like you put make one pupil shoot to the up and right corner and the other one shoot down to the left corner and rolling out of sequence, which I cannot make my eyes do that. Most people can't. And I, I, I look at that and I mean, I, it scares me because we, we haven't had any teaching about deliverance, except that there, there are demons and this is from the vineyard. We'll come back next time we're here. We'll teach you. So don't think you've got a demon uh, under every bush. Don't try to cast them out. He said, matter of fact, keep you safe. Don't try to cast anything out of anybody unless you have one talking to you. So otherwise, wait till we get back and we can give you some instruction, which mm-hmm. we hadn't had that instruction yet. But the power, it was the power of God that caused this, which had been hidden that she wasn't aware of in her. And she's on the floor. And uh, you've heard me tell a story, help me, Randy, help me, Randy, of John, who was so touched by the Holy Spirit and started moving. God used him to heal. Um, He also had this, it's like he had a special grace for discerning of spirits. It came to him. He was really became powerful in deliverance. But so we're looking at it and I'm looking at that thing. Oh my God, what is this? And then she stops. And I went and sat down and I thought, boy, I'm glad that ended because <laughs> I wasn't ready to deal with it. And John comes over and says, you know what we've got here, don't you? I said, there's about 10 people there. Right? Wow. Don't you say it. <laughs> we don't have one talking to us. So don't say it. And, uh, you know, like he's saying, we got a demon here. And so right after that, she starts flopping again. Wow. And actually her husband's there uh, in the meeting. Uh, and so we walk over, John and I walk over to look at her. And she turns and looks at John and with a different voice, a man's voice, a growly voice. I do. You're ugly. <laughs> to John. He was the guy that got so powerfully touched. Uh, that was when he's talking about the manifestation of spirit. He was a skeptic civil engineer. Wow. He was against the meeting in my church. He was a member of my church against it, standing in the back, hand against the wall. When he heard that you may feel heat, energy, get hot, uh, feel weight and glory, and if so, come forward. He hears that, and he just says, that's a bunch of bull. Wow. And instantly, Spirit of God came on him, and he became the most demonstrative person, richest guy in my church, most one of the most highly educated, and God uh, didn't deserve it. You know, one of the least like Christ, baby Christian, really. His life gets radically transformed in that moment. And in, in less than 30 seconds, he goes from a mocker of this of this ministry of power to a person who's ministering in the power, from mocking it to ministering wow. that fast. So anyway, he said, we got one talking to us now. <laughs> and, and Sean, I wished I could tell you I knew what to do because I didn't. I knew what the Bible says, but there's a difference between faking what you know you're supposed to have and having it. I didn't have faith yet in the power of the name of Jesus over demons. Intellectually, I did, Mm. but experientially, I didn't. So in my intellect, I'm just saying, come out, come out in the name of Jesus, come out, come out in Jesus' name. I command you to come out. And it didn't happen. So then I thought, all right, I'll I'll, um, I'll scare it. Listen, the Bible says we're going to judge angels 
And so I'm going to remember you, and you better come out now, because if you don't come out now, I'm going to ask the Lord to make your torment in hell 10 times hotter than it's going to be, so you better get out while you can. And that didn't work either, you know, <laughs> because so I, I tried to, you know, to uh, harangue them. I tried to bluff them. They know when you're bluffing. They know when you know. They know when you don't know what you know. Wow. And uh, so I went, I got oil and I made the sign of the cross on her forehead. And I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe the oil is uh, kind of a sacramental type thing that helped because I wasn't a sacramentalist. So uh, that didn't help. I went and got the big cross off of the communion row and I laid it right on her chest. And I'm coming, I'm doing everything I know to do. And uh, nothing's helping. And she's thrashing and hitting her head on the floor and I had put the pillow under it. And, uh, and I remembered Blaine Cook, who had been at, Two weeks earlier at my church, God used him for the visitation of the Spirit. God came when he said, come Holy Spirit. He did. And he said, my wife loves to do deliverance. There's a special grace on my life. And um, so I said, uh, go to the, I had a little office right there. Go to the office and call Blaine because I wanted to get talk to Becky. What do we do? Because I didn't know. Even though I had four years of college, majored in all my lectures, religious studies, three years, Master of Divinity, 92 hours more. I didn't know what to do because they didn't deal with that at all in seminary. Nothing. I mean, nothing. So she went, and it's midnight. It's a little past midnight, actually. She went, a woman went to call Blaine to talk to Becky. The phone's dead. Now, I was at that church for eight years. That's the only time I ever remember the phones being dead. So I said, okay, go out to the educational building and use the phone there. It was dead. So I said, well, go home. She just lived like a couple of miles. Go home and call. We, we don't know what to do. So she walks into her house past midnight, and her husband says, where have you been? He's worried. And she's, he, she said, well, she finally said, well, we got a demon. Somebody's demonized. He said, you heard what Blaine said about it. We're not supposed to be involved in that. You guys don't know what you're doing, and I don't want you going back. You're, you're not going back. And she said, it's the wife of your best friend that you work in the mine with. And he said, call Becky. Wow. So they called Becky, got old blank, got Becky, and she gave my friend, a woman in my church, wasn't me, five steps to deliverance. Now we use 10, but they're just more sophisticated. Five basic issues. And she wrote them on the back of an envelope. And she came back in, and I watched something. It wasn't a wrestling match. It wasn't a screaming match. It's very different. Because I had once seen some people supposed to do a deliverance in an Assembly God church in my town. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. That was a screaming wrestling match. Uh, it, it was really bad. And uh, later I'd find out from the leading person in the Western Hemisphere who trained us in deliverance later, who done, at the time we met him 25 years ago, he'd already done like 80,000 deliverances wow. and oversaw a deliverance tent for Carlos Anacondia. He was the guy who trained for 12 years the people who moved who worked in the deliverance tent for Anaconda. That So that's really who we were actually been trained by. But at that time, we hadn't had any of that training. But there was a parallel. What we learned in the vineyard was so similar to what mm. uh, Anaconda's friend was doing. So she came in, she got down, and, and when she, this other person started manifesting, she said, called her by her name, which I don't want to give right now, but let's just say Jane, like Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. And she said, Jane, I want to talk to Jane. Jane, I don't want to talk to the spirit. You shut up. Jane, I want to talk to Jane until you could actually see in Jane's eye when the personality, the demonic presence was in control. And when it backed up and Jane was back, you could see it in the countenance. Wow. So you don't you don't really want to talk to the spirit. Matter of fact, I don't think Jesus was speaking to Legion. I think he's speaking to the man. Mm. And Legion responded. Mm. You know, Legion spoke back. It wasn't so like he was trying to interview. 
because they're liars anyway. And so one of the things that was to do was to get Jane back to talk and deal with where's the open door? What happened that this came about? What trauma? Usually it is trauma. It can be involved in engagement in the occult, you know, things, uh, a lot of things that you're talking about will open a person up to the demonic. And uh, we're trying to find out what it was. And it turned out that she had been married earlier, had a really bad marriage, had been abused verbally in many different ways, and lots of bitterness was still there, mm-hmm. unforgiveness. And the person, okay, that got you, Jane, will you, not that they deserve it, but it, it, this allows the enemy legally to attack you with all this bitterness and it's, it, it attracts the demonic, this hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. Are you willing to forgive? I'd like to just say, God, help me. To and we let her through forgiving her ex-husband. Wow. So what you're doing, you're trying to take the legal right of the enemy to attack. So good. So you remove, it's kind of like if, if, um, if demons are flies, and you've got garbage, you can shoo the flies away. But if you don't get rid of the garbage, they want to come back. And so it's like take tearing up the landing field, using another metaphor, tearing up the landing field they want to land on, and, and then making sure that they're filled with the Spirit. So wow. this, it, so we watched it, and we watched. And once she had done these things, then she said, now, Randy, now command it to leave. We've, you know, it's like we have dealt with the cause We've taken the legal right away so that, you know, they can't, they can't say, I have a right to stay. And then we dealt with it, cast it out. Now, by that, it's about three in the morning. I'm exhausted. And it, I know it says if you cast out a spirit, you need to make sure you fill them up with the Holy Spirit or the spirit will come back later with seven more worse than they were. I thought that was metaphorical. And I also thought it was too much of an evangelical. I wasn't Pentecostal enough yet. I wasn't charismatic enough yet. I mean, I'm like two weeks old in the things of God. So it's three in the morning. So we're tired. So let's just pray that she'd be filled with it. And we pray a prayer. God, fill it with the Holy Spirit. No evidence, no manifestation of being filled. But we just said, take it by faith. We believe it. You know, it says it's going to happen. But it didn't. And she got free, but she wasn't filled. There's a vacuum. The next day was Sunday. I meet, and she's fine. But the next morning, I meet her husband. She's not in church. And he said, I had to take the knives out of our house. I had to take the kids to the grandparents. She is worse. Whoa. And, and, and he said, she's suicidal. She is not, you know. So we arranged, I said, bring her to church tonight. And now, because I'd seen what you could do when you have, you know what you're doing. And I, 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 I told some of the deacons, we're going to do this deliverance. And we told them what had happened the night before. And one of my friends, he came with his Bible, holding it right here. He's actually scared as one of the deacons. <laughs> and I said, everybody, and what we, I, I know we're going to do it in the service. We'll go home. Everybody, we had ministry time. You go home. We got a serious counseling session we do, and we, we just need some privacy. And we had, after everybody had left, I had like three or four deacons and a couple other women leaders and we brought her in. But, and I preached on Colossians, having made a public spectacle. I was full of faith. And I, I, had, I had the list. I knew, all right, these are the steps. But I'd seen it work. Now, I'm not bluffing. Mm. Now, I have faith. And we went through it. And I actually had a little, like a my, um, calendar I carried in my pocket for, as an American Baptist. You know, put my notes, uh, calendar in. And I start dealing with and, and these man, per- presences, personalities would come. And, you know, they'd start talking. And, and I didn't know really yet too much. But I actually wrote down. And I, 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 there were eight mm. personalities. And each with its own thing. 
And so it was exactly literal. It went and found seven more. And but it didn't take long. It did in less than an hour. We're doing three hours to get one out, and in one hour we had eight out. And then we 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 said we want to pray for it to be filled. And this time it's not going to just we're going to say it and you're going to believe it. We're going to it's going to happen. You need the experience being filled. And so we we, we was going to pray for. Her. She said, No, I want to be baptized again. So she went and changed it to a baptismal gown. We baptized her and she got drunk. This is before, this is 10 years before Toronto. Wow. She was drunk in the spirit. As a, she's still wet and I got her baptist gown on, a big thick white gown for baptism. And, and her husband said something to her and I let go of her to look to him and she fell on the floor and she's laughing her head off. She thinks it's so funny. And later was one of the accusations to have me fired within the denomination was that I believed Christians could be demonized. I didn't say possessed. I don't believe Christian can be possessed because Jesus bought us with the blood, his blood. We're his possession. But there can be areas of uh, like a, a CD that's got a scratch on it, got a dirt spot on it. it that light hangs up there. Oh, that's so but good. everything else is fine. Come that's on. a word you could use for demonized. Actually, the word obsession, possession isn't in the Greek. Just one word. It's, we, tr we would transliterate that word demonized from very little bit to like legion. Yeah. But even legion, who's got a legion, thousands of demons in him, they can't keep him from coming and bowing at the feet of Jesus. So good, Randy. So that was the prelude to the big one. She went to pray for her cousin who was having migraines constantly and seizures. She's only 39 years old at the time, and she's on a walker. She's losing her eyesight. She's eaten up with arthritis. She's very ill for her age, only 39 years old. Mm. So they went to see her cousin. And the moment they started praying, the cousin went into a grandma's seizure. And so they call me, Randy. And remember, we're like two weeks old in the Lord. Randy, do you think it's a demon? I said, no, listen. We're not going to think there's a demon under every bush. But if you go back to pray for it again, and the moment you start praying, it happens again. Then we, it could be, and we need to meet with her at the church. Mm. So they go back like a week later, pray for her again. As soon as they begin to pray, Grandma's seizure. She comes to the meeting with a walker, barely able to get up the steps. John, the guy I told you about that, you know, earlier. Yes. He's there because he has a special grace and faith. And we get in. As soon as we start praying, she went into a grandma seizure, fell off her pew, and is in the floor. Wow. Now, John walks over to her, looks at her, points his finger at her, and says, I know all about you. You tried to kill me last night. I don't think they said we'd go crazy if we got involved with this. He's nuts. <laughs> you tried to kill me last night. And I know all about you. I even know your names. I come against you named two names of spirits. And I command you to come out in Jesus' name. And she's screaming and she's doing all this stuff. And he said, and I know about Mike. When he said, Mike, she screamed bloody murder. Oh he said, and I know about Benton, the name of a small town nearby. Oh I know about Benton. And she screamed and screamed and screamed. And, and, and again, really rearing up, like coming off the floor, rearing up, ah, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to make this worse than it was. Right. It was crazy. And then he said, and I know about the adultery. And she screamed. It was my husband. I caught him in the garage a few weeks ago with another woman who was 16 years old. Wow, snap. Oh my. And then his, her cousin, she said, I got to talk to you. Pull John over. I walk over. I am, what is going on here? And she says, how do you know about Mike? How do you know about Benton? Wow. He said, 
Last night in my sleep, a hand came on me, started choking me, and I woke up with fear in the room, and it was a demonic spirit trying to scare me, and I tried to say the name of Jesus, and it was hard, and it took a while, and finally, I was able to say Jesus, and when I did, that hand dropped off, and I went into an open vision. He said, I saw her when she was 16 years old, 23 years earlier, being raped by Mike, and he said, and I saw the name of the town, like a little green sign, Benton. And I could tell you the name, the kind of car it was. This in the back seat. I saw it all. God showed it. So we go back, and I try to take help her forgive. And it, it took, you know, took a while just to remove some of the stuff we need. But we get her free. After it's over, her eyesight was coming back already, and she picked up that walker. Instead of taking grandma steps like six, she walked out that walker overhead. All the arthritis was gone and stuff. That's what we saw. Wow. And it turned out that those two names were two names of spirits, of spirit of wind and fire, that her grandfather, who was a shaman, Native American shaman, would put her in a cave with snakes and stuff and have her literally walk on hot rocks and stuff, occultic type stuff. And she had done voodoo stuff. I mean, she was into the occult too. So anyway, that's my story. Yes, I believe deliverance ministry is going to be needed more in the future than it's been in the past in America as because Americans are getting uh, misunderstanding, dabbling in the occult. And so I believe unintentionally there is an opening up within people, even in the church, to the occult. Wow, man, that is so profound. Are you able just to say a short prayer over just people that are listening, maybe that are battling and fighting themselves? Yeah, and I encourage you. I wrote a book on the biblical guidebook to deliverance, and it will help discern where there may have been open doors. I pray God gives you hope. And I pray it wakes you up to the possibility of I may need to get some pastoral care in this area. Uh, and, and I may need to be free or I may need, it may be I need to have some brokenness healed and, and, and probably both. But I pray that you would know that there is a better future than a past and there is an answer in Jesus and there is authority in his name and you can be free. And you've been thinking, I've been trying and trying and trying to win over this issues in my life, but no, my willpower isn't strong enough. And I agree, your willpower isn't strong enough because you're not dealing with your will. You're de dealing with the power of, afflict of an afflicting spirit, which empowers your will to do the things you don't want to do. In Jesus' name, I believe God wants you free. Seek him. Thanks so much, Dr. Randy. Sure love you. Thank you. God bless you. Love you too, Sean. Wow. Wasn't that just golden? I love when the generals come and stop by Keeper 100. He just proves, first of all, all the wisdom that he was spilling forth, and he just proves there's layers to this thing. We always are going to continually grow as it relates to our faith and understanding freedom and deliverance. All right, Keeper 100 tribe, as always, we have the Keeper 100 takeaways. And in Keeper 100 takeaways, I want to talk to you about how to get free. So getting free, first thing you got to do. So I'm going to give you kind of five takeaways. Number one, you have to acknowledge in that point in time, the breach. There's been a disconnect between you and God. You know, breaking strongholds is never easy, but half the battle is realizing that, that they are there. And the subtle indicators can be easily blamed on things in our lives or what other people did to us. But whenever you do that, the root of the problem is left unaddressed. Uh, once you identify the stronghold, you can break it. But sometimes the biggest battle is you have to acknowledge there is a stronghold there. 
I do need freedom in this area. I do need to refocus on God. And uh, sometimes when you're broken yourself, it's hard to see the stronghold in your life because it's that old adage, if you want to know the condition of the aquarium, don't ask the fish, meaning that's they don't have contrast. That's all they know. So sometimes the acknowledgement can come because people are trying to challenge you. They're seeing stuff in your life. And it's good to have some accountability and folks that can say, hey man, you know, I know you've been a little short with people, man. You know, I, I see your eye is wandering a little bit more. Or, uh, man, well, what's going on there? Or, or whatever. I just see you've been kind of a little more aloof than or I haven't, I've seen you haven't been coming to fellowship and hanging around believers. And so those are the things. Number one, you got to acknowledge the breach. In other words, you have to acknowledge that something is not right. You're not properly aligned. So that's number one. And getting free, if you can't acknowledge it, you won't get free, right? Acknowledge it. Number two, once you acknowledge it, you got to repent of the sin. Now, you got to repent of it, meaning that so many people confess their sins, but they never forsake their sin. And they kind of keep going back to, oh man, I'll just confess, Lord, please forgive me. I know I shouldn't be doing that with my girlfriend. I know I shouldn't be doing that with my boyfriend. I know I shouldn't be cheating on my taxes. Come on, somebody. I cheat on my business. I do this. I cheat on my, my spouse, uh, but I'll, I'll confess it. But then you know you're going to go back to it or any other area. But Proverbs 28, 13 gang says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. Okay, so you're not going to cover it. But now check out part B of Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin will, will have mercy. Some people are confessing and it takes mercy for you to get completely free. And some people say, I, get, I confess my sin, but I, I just keep going back to it. I'm not free. It's because you're not confessing and forsaking. So repentance of sin means you'll confess it, but you'll forsake it. And the way to get free is it when you share God's uh, emotion and attitude and perspective towards the sin. Call it what it is. Don't, don't kind of give it this nice little cute word. Uh, call it what it is, right? Just say what it is. Don't, don't call it a slip. Call it a sin. So many people just say, oh, I just slipped up. No, no, no. Call it a sin because all sins need to be confessed with a, 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 genu a genuine heart contrition, meaning that you're genuinely sorry, not worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow, because keeping it in stops the blessing, releasing it out brings the deliverance. Let me say it again, in terms of sin, keeping it in stops the blessing, releasing it out brings deliverance. And then you make a decision to walk away from that sin, make a commitment, you'll never turn back again. Uh, one of the things that has really helped me over the years is just developing an awe of the Lord, which we talked about in an earlier podcast. If you develop an awe, a fear of God, uh, you'll get free in those areas because when no one's watching, no one's around, you still want to be right before the Lord and you recognize who he is. He sees all things. And not only is he an awesome God, a sovereign Lord, but he's a good, good father too. Number three, the third thing you need to do if you want to get set free is you need to renounce the spirit. What I mean by renounce the spirit, you say, Sean, what's the difference between that and confessing the sin? Renouncing the spirit means you're removing the legal rights. Sometimes their legal rights are the things that give the, the demons permission to enter and remain in our lives. And sometimes before the, the devils can be evicted or cast out or the bondage can be broken, it's important to address and remove these legal rights. And so you know, once, say, I'm confessing area of anger uh, or, or licentiousness, meaning that, you know, I, have, I don't have morals. I'm, I, I got a very immoral lifestyle. I not only confess it, I not only 
forsake it, but I renounce the spirit of immorality. I would just say, I renounce the spirit of uh, immorality. I renounce the spirit of, of pornography. I renounce the spirit of, you know, whatever it is, you have to renounce it. And I just think that's so important. And, and I've seen it. And a lot of times in, in deliverance, I see when you get to the point where you ask a person to come to that point where, you know, if, if I was ministering over someone else, obviously I would first have them declare Jesus is Lord of their life. And then I would get them to repent, renounce. And it's funny, a lot of times when I'm, I'm getting to the point where they, I challenge them to, to say Jesus is Lord, depending on the bondage, it's funny, but the enemy fights them on confessing Jesus Lord. It's something about the Lordship of Jesus that breaks it, that begins at renouncing. And sometimes the enemies, the demonic spirit will begin to curse or say things, which really makes me think, you know, you got some Christians out there that have no problem uh, cursing and using certain words. And it's like, hey man, it just means whatever, whatever. It's funny because a lot of the demonic spirits be cussing all the time. I just think that's very interesting. I believe the mouth is very important and purity out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so guard what goes in your heart and guard what comes out of your mouth, right? That's so important. All right, moving on. Number four, forgiveness of any perpetrators. And I just say, if you're going to get free, sometimes it's easy to see that there was someone else responsible or someone else had a hand in it. Uh, you need to forgive. So, hey, you might need to forgive your parents. You need to forgive that old coach, teachers, boss, ex-lover. You might need to forgive yourself, right? You might need to forgive the government. You might need to forgive law enforcement or another race, or you might need to forgive God. You know, sometimes people, they want to acknowledge, but they actually need to forgive God. Not that God did something wrong, but because he didn't do what you thought he should have done, you held something against him. And this is important because Matthew 6, 14 says, if, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Fifth and final thing in order to get free is warfare. And I would say warfare prayer and spiritual warfare is tough, but let me just tell you, the weapons that God provides his children with are tougher. And the truth is that many people are going to continue to have problems until they determine to get out of their bondage and they will fight. You know, I talk to people and they go, hey man, I'm just, I'm just struggling a little bit. I'm just struggling a little bit in this area and that area. And sometimes I'm thinking in the back of my mind, no, you're not struggling. You're giving in. If you were struggle, you would probably get free. In other words, you're fighting. Struggling implies you're resisting and you're fighting. Some people, they're not struggling. They're just giving in. So this part is important because once you've done all that, you're, you may be back in a situation where all of a sudden that temptation is screaming, that that demonic spirit is trying to put it in front of you and make it seem like it's, it's what you need in that moment. You can't do without it. But I'm just telling you, you got to determine that you are going to to be free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And you got to know that there's no problem. There's no challenge that you won't mean business on. You're not going to remain in bondage to any demonic entity. You're not going to remain in bondage to sickness, any unfavorable situation. You need to declare that now you're getting out of it and you'll do whatever it takes. And I would just throw on a little small thing Hey, have some follow-up and some fellowship. It's important that once the bondage is broken, demons always try to come back. Matthew 12, 43 through 45, when an unclean spirit goes out of man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house, which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. And I thought, isn't that odd that the demons go, but they find it empty, but shouldn't it be empty? Why, why is that they find it empty and they're able to go back and it says, it goes on the next verse in verse 45, says it takes seven spirits more wicked than itself. But I thought, empty of what? And then it dawned on me. An unclean spirit goes out of the man and he returns to the house which he came and he finds it empty. Empty is this, empty of the authority 
that it took to drive him out. And I'm thinking the enemy's going to come back. Don't be empty. Fill that with the word of God. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I believe that, man, regular attendance in church and fellowship is important. Get back to studying the Bible. Participate in anything that increases the presence of God, your quiet time, worship time. And what this does is it's required to keep your life safe from future damage. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep Your 100 Tribe, you will, not, you will not want to miss our next episode. It is going to be a surprise episode, so you guys are just have to catch us when we come back. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it